Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I am so delighted this morning to have a new contact that I was recently introduced to, and I'm excited to have her on the show because she is truly a heart-centered leader. Her name is Camille Morvin, and she is currently residing in Paris, France. And I met her through a mutual connection as she was awarded a prestigious award last year in the artificial intelligence sector. She is simply an amazing researcher. She's a neuroscience expert. She loves talking about anything cognition, cognitive science, and she is one of the biggest female founders and exceptional entrepreneurs in France with a new startup company called Goshaba. So I am just so honored to have Camille on the show. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Hi, Deborah. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, you and I have so much in common. I am, I am also a lover of neuroscience and cognition. So I've got some great leadership questions for you. So if you're ready, I'm, I'm ready to ask them. All right, let's, let's go. Now, you have been deemed an expert and an award winner within the artificial intelligence sector. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I would love to know where you decided to have the passion and the wisdom and the insight to pull together Goshaba. Tell us where that came from and, and how it all developed and, and kind of where you're at in that journey. Mm. Thank you. That's, that's a great question. Um, so I was a researcher, well, I guess I still am a researcher. I have a PhD in uh, neuroscience and cognitive psychology. Um, what happened is, I guess I, I got into cognitive science because um, since I was a kid, I just like couldn't really make sense of what uh, grown-ups were doing and why they were so irrational. So I guess that's what kind of led me to study the brain eventually. Um, and when I was, so my last academic position, I was a researcher and teacher at Harvard. Um, the way I was doing my research is I was developing cognitive tests to measure how people think. So I could measure with this test, I could measure how people take decisions, how do they handle complexity, uh, I could measure their memories. And the way I did that was by uh, developing these tests that are kind of like very boring video games. And then people would come to the lab and take these tests. And um, in about 2006, the technology that I was using to create these tests, um, it became possible to develop these tests on cell phones and uh, laptops, 
whereas before the technology was only available on, on desktop computers. And so I thought oh, it would be great to like bring these cognitive tests to a larger audience and actually transform them into real video games, right? So the idea was um, you play video games and at the end of the game, the game is telling you how is your memory, how is your capacity to focus, um, what's your empathy level. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a creator, I'm an inventor, but I don't necessarily have, I mean, I don't have a training in business or marketing. So I was excited about starting this technology, right? So I came back to France to start my company and I was looking for partners. So I started the company with two, um, two guys who come from the video game industry. And um, it's an interesting story because I initially I was looking for partners everywhere. I picked my idea at so many events and I couldn't find anybody. And then I remembered that my older sister was in the video game industry years ago. So I got in touch with her. She put me in touch with these two guys, uh, Jamil and Min, and we started the technology together. And we decided to apply this technology to recruiting because recruiting is a field where you know, recruiting is super unfair because it's based often on people's pedigree and on their ability to sell themselves on a, on a resume, on a CV. Um, so we thought with this technology, we can actually qualify candidates, evaluate their true potential. And that way we're able to push candidates to interviews that would normally not get any because they don't know how to sell themselves on the resume or because they didn't go to the right school. So that's kind of how it started. Well, it's so exciting to hear. I, I was kind of laughing when you you alluded to the fact about being a young girl and looking at the irrational behavior of, of adults. So, so what a unique start to the path of, of neuroscience. And my second question is, I love the name of your company. Can you share what that mean, what the what the name means and why you chose it? Yeah, so that's actually <laughs> Goshaba is a village in India um, and it's a place where explorers used to pass by and it was kind of their last step before exploring uh, unknown areas, right? So that's why we chose the name um, with my partners. The name, the idea comes from uh, my partner Jamil and, uh, you know, we see ourselves as kind of explorer of a new world and we don't really know what we're going to discover technology. Well, it's such a unique name and I think it's so appropriate within the AI sector and it just it just further denotes and, and demonstrates the creativity of not only just that small village in, in India, but it's kind of aligned with your passion and wisdom and, and insight being a, an explorer, a woman leader explorer within the AI sector. So congratulations. And you certainly have not only created, but are, are forging a new path. My next question that I love to give to all of my guests is share with us, and I want you to take your neuroscience hat off, share with us what imperfections you bring every day to your heart-centered leadership? Um, okay, so yeah, I think, um, I think we, we joked about that on the, when we met that the list could be very long, right? Um, I, think, I think I'm relatively anxious. I think I'm a very anxious person. And the, that anxiety kind of 
can sometimes be a little blinding, particularly when you have so much responsibility, right? Like this startup is the first I created. I don't have a business background, as I said, I'm a researcher. So I feel like in creating this company, I probably did all of the mistakes that one can possibly make. So uh, I'll be happy to start another company later. And uh, now that I have learned from, uh, from all these mistakes, um, I think, so because of that, and because I'm a woman CEO, which is super rare, and it's even more rare in the technology industry, um, I think I'm constantly kind of uh, worrying that I'm not on the right path and I'm, or I'm not doing the right thing because, um, you know, I feel like people are quick to judge. And uh, so, so that, that definitely uh, plays very well with my anxiety. Um, so sometimes anxiety can be blinding. And I think other times, it can be a very, very good asset in the sense that the, I would say the objectives that I, that I set for myself are, I think, much higher than the objectives that other people would set for me um, because of that anxiety. And I, you know, I feel like um, there is so much that needs to be fixed in the world. And, uh, you know, it may be a little bit arrogant to say that, but I feel like I have to fix some of these things. And particularly the, the one injustice that I'm focusing on with Goshaba is uh, that problem with diversity, right? The fact that some of us are um, kind of selected at birth for being the richer people and the leaders and the successful people and the happy people. And some of us are uh, targeted at birth as um, the people who are going to become poor and you know, have difficulties in their, in their job, in their career. And that's, the, that's one injustice that I'm really focusing on. One of the reasons I'm focusing on that is because I was raised by a single mom and um, who was born in Algeria. So, and she has a foreign name. So I've seen uh, firsthand what it is to be a single mother and what it is to be Arab in a, uh, I would say mostly, you know, originally Christian country. And I've seen how many opportunities she didn't get because of that. And, you know, that's something that um, really resonates to, for me that I want people to have to reach their potential, regardless of their gender, their ethnicity, their name, their, you know, handicap or anything else. So I would say my anxiety is hopefully doing something good for the world in the sense that I decided to take on that mission, even though it's, you know, not, a, it's not an easy one. Well, I'm happy that you just talked about the gender diversity within digital professions because you've just segued beautifully into my last question. Artificial intelligence is really at the heart of digital transformation, but it's no different than other technology fields and sectors. There's not a lot of women. There's still a tremendous low representation. It's certainly getting better. So my next question would be, what advice would you share or guide or even mentor for a young woman looking to consider coming into the AI field and really knowing and feeling like she belongs there? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, so I think the, the, um, it's difficult to talk about gender inequality in isolation. So, you know, the, the view I have on that is it's not that there's not enough women in technical jobs, is that 
the society is structured around gender differences and um, the, the, the problem is that there are many centers of power that are 100% men, not because men are qualified, obviously, but because men tend to, certain men tend to want to stay with other men, right? So the, it's, it's an illusion to think that the reason there's less women in technology is because either they're not qualified or because they don't want to go there or because they're not competent. There is less women in technology because it's an area where people can make a lot of money and can get prestigious jobs. Therefore, certain men will tend to pro promote other men uh, just because they are men. It's not, you know, it's like a boys club. So the first thing I want to say to anybody who wants to go into AI is that, uh, particularly women, is among the first best mathematicians, there were women. So, you know, we have to stop that idea that in theory, like women wouldn't be as good in math as, as men. I really, that really infuriates me when I hear that. And um, it's important, I think, to be aware when you're a woman in a male-dominated field, to be aware of that it's a systemic problem. You're not the problem. The problem is the system. And I would recommend the first thing to, to do actually is to read some basic feminist books um, that will help you understand. So I have a lot of references, but they're in French, unfortunately. So, but I'm sure that you know there's lots of super interesting Americans or English-speaking feminists that, that people can uh, can read. And I think so. The first thing is to understand that the problem is the system and not you. And then with that in mind, um, you know, just embrace whatever career you to embrace. Um, try to not have internal limitations. Know that it may be harder for you than it would be for male counterparts, but also know that some people are waiting for you there. Some people really want to promote women and they will be your partners for, you know, for your career. They will help you along the way. And it's very important that you have in your network, for me, that's the most important thing. You have to have people who believe in you in your network. It seems like something obvious, but I'm saying it because sometimes women tend to question themselves and to surround themselves with people who question them because they think that it's gonna make them evolve. I think that's true to a certain extent, but I think what's even more true is that when you have friends and people who support you no matter what, and will always remind you how brilliant you are, this is what's gonna give you strength to continue. Well, that's certainly good advice from a woman perspective, an entrepreneur perspective, and you are certainly forging the way with your heart-centered leadership in AI. So I think that's going to be some, some wise words for anybody listening or even considering going into the, the tech sector within AI. I'm going to switch gears now, and I like to end the podcast with what I call my Fab Four. These are just four fun questions, so we can see what's sitting on, on the top of your mind. So are you ready? <laughs> yes, I, I hope so. Okay, my first question is, share with us your favorite place to visit and why. Mm. Favorite place to visit is in Mali, in West Africa. Um, it's a country that has lots of... Culturally, it's amazing because Mali has so many different um, populations with different languages, different cultures. The country is amazingly pretty. The music is great. The food is great. And as I said, the landscapes are incredible. There is a place in Mali called the Pays d'Ogon where the two uh, ethnies that cohabit there 
And, and there are also some legend about very tiny human beings who live in cliffs. Uh, that was one of my favorite places on Earth. So Mali right now, unfortunately, is a place where there has been a, a new war recently. So it's not the best place to visit right now, but whenever it reopens, it's really an amazing country and people are so welcoming and, and, uh, and beautiful. So I, I recommend that place. Well, it sounds amazing. And I'm sure it's on your list of places to visit once we, we return to a, a post-COVID state. My uh, second question is, if you had to have a conversation with the 16-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give her? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. I don't know. I, I think when I was 16, I was, I, I don't think I was that smart when I was 16. So I would probably tell myself to calm down, <laughs> um, you know, chill and try to, huh, what would I say to a 16-year-old me? Oh, my God, that's a really question. Um, all right, so I took a very long time to understand that maybe I was uh, smart. I thought I was not smart at all until maybe four or five years ago. So I think one thing I would tell myself when I was 16 is, um, okay, you're smart, everything's going to be okay, and you know, maybe try to like lower down that anxiety that was already starting to rise when I was 16. So yeah, I think I would tell myself to chill and trust myself. Well, good advice indeed. And that, that self-talk, we, we have to keep that at bay. And I think at 16, I, I, I know a lot of people listening can probably relate to that. My third question is, if I gifted you a time capsule and I asked you to put in some items to represent 2020 so that you can bury it and it'll be dug up by a future generation, what would you put inside the time capsule to really signify what 2020 was? Hmm. Um, I think I'd like to put something related to biodiversity. So maybe a carpenter bee or an heirloom seed. Um, I think 2020 is a year where, I mean, we, we know we have to change our system. We've been aware of that for a long time because we're destroying all resources, we're killing biodiversity because social inequalities are rising. Um, and I think the hope for future generations, to me, the hope is in, um, you know, getting close to nature again and understanding how smart nature is and that we, using technology, we're um, distance, becoming too distant with, with nature. So I'd put a bee or a seed, I think. Well, that's an interesting answer. And I love the perspective of how all my guests have had different insight and vision for 2020. And I'm just choosing to look at it as a year of reflection and pause. And I love your slant on it, but if anything, we're we're leaving this year with a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom and opportunity to pause and reflect. So it's just so interesting. It's a whole other podcast we could have and, and chat about. So great answer. My last question is, what do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. I think I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with that right now, but I think my legacy will be a bunch of... Um, 
Evet abi bu arada. Ee, honey, you know, honey bees houses. What's it called in English? The um, combs? No, what's it called? I need, I need your help. The bride only the word. Anyway, I want to make honey in my second uh, career. So I would like to leave all these bees and all the equipment to make honey uh, to my kids or to future generations because bees are very key element of the ecosystem and they're uh, pollinizing. So that's why we need more of them. And of course, we all know that they're dying because of pesticides. So I'd like that to be my, my legacy. So the English word is a beehive. Yes, beehive. And you're, so you're going to be the, the beekeeper of the beehive. What a, what a lovely kind of part two of what you want to, to do in kind of your end of life and give back to your environment and to the world. And you'll, you'll bring a whole other level of, of uh, cognition and neuroscience to those bee houses. I can just see it now. <laughs> yeah totally no but these are fascinating like the you know the specialties that each of them has uh there's the one that like generates the wax the one that feeds the babies there is uh the way they organize the societies and the way you consider a colony as an organism and i think that's really fascinating and on top of that they help with biodiversity and the ecosystem so and they make delicious honey obviously so i think that's a great occupation well, it is, and, and I think about honey, not only is it delicious, but it's got so many medicinal purposes, and it's been around for so many years, and it's just so fun to hear that it's something of interest to you, which is totally different from the space you're in now, so, so interesting. I am so grateful to Mujan for uh, connecting us and putting us together, and I'm I'm in awe of the research you've done, and I share the love and passion that you have for neuroscience. And I, I think there's more intellectual stimulating conversations to come between you and I. And congratulations on your award and your business. And uh, it's just truly been an honor for me to spend time with you. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you very much. And uh, I love your questions. It was, it was <laughs> I had a great time thinking about, uh, about this. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I love to end the podcast with my list of five things that I feel really help us live a purposeful life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and remember to always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you once again for joining me on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.